So hear now God's Word given to us from Psalm 119, verses 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Amen. I remind you that this is God's holy and inspired word. It contains everything that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's pray. O Lord God, we come into this house to worship and glorify you. It is our chiefest desire to seek the Lord with all our hearts and to not wander from any of your commandments. And we pray that you would bless us far more abundantly than all that we can think and imagine by answering that prayer. We pray it all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. What is the goal of Christian preaching? Have you ever thought about that? What is the goal of Christian preaching? Of the several goals of Christian preaching, is that our congregations should be encouraged to seek the Lord while He may be found. That is not an easy goal, but that takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit doing a regenerative work and renewing the heart to seek the Lord. But the goal is not only to seek the Lord, but with the whole heart, an undivided heart, because this is acceptable and pleasing in the eyes of God. Moses says in the context of his sermon in Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek after him with all your heart and all your soul. In numerous places in Scripture, believers are obliged to seek him with our whole heart. And that is one of the goals of Christian preaching. To encourage us, the congregation, to seek the Lord with our whole hearts. The doctrine of the text is this. We must seek the Lord with our whole hearts and pray that in God's providence, He would not allow us to wander from his commandments. I would like in the exposition to take this under three headings. The seeking, the heart, and providence. First, the seeking. The verse 
says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Thomas Manson said in his exposition of Psalm 119, God's children are a generation of seekers. God's children are a generation of seekers. So, what was necessary? What is necessary to be sought? What does it mean to seek? The unanimous translation of the King James, the New King James, the NIV, and the ESV are either sought or seek. Synonyms of seek are to explore, follow, investigate, and pursue. These synonyms are most appropriate to define the word seek. The you is undoubtedly, undoubtedly, the Lord, our God. Therefore, we should be seeking the Lord, our God, which is quite obvious. How can you seek the Lord? What is indicated in this seeking of the Lord? I will give five answers of how Christians ought to seek the Lord. The first is seek the Lord in prayer. Seek the Lord in prayer. In the immediate context of Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Charles Bridges says, attention to the word, however important, can never be practically effective without earnest prayer. It cannot practically practically be effective without earnest prayer. We should never tire of seeking the Lord in prayer. And this is what Isaiah instructs. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Call upon Him frequently in the Scriptures means call upon Him in prayer. We should never tire of seeking the Lord in prayer However, we do tire. We do tire. We get tired and we fail to seek Him in prayer. At least I confess that I do. I don't feel like praying every day. And the Lord has to wake me up from my spiritual slumber. But isn't it a comfort that Jesus never tires of praying for you? Isn't it a comfort that Jesus never tires of praying for His disciples? To to the Father, day and night, He never tires of invoking the Father. He never tires of invoking the Father. He is a great high priest who carries us to the throne of grace. So that we can never draw, so that we, we can draw near with confidence. And isn't it a comfort that the Spirit never tires of praying for you? And you, with uh, your uh, weakness, in your weakness and longings, too, he prays too deeply to be heard. The Son and the Spirit intercede on our behalf. I am weak. 
We are weak, but he is strong. What else should we seek? Seek the guidance from the Lord. Seek guidance from the Lord. The final straw against Saul was that he did not seek guidance from the Lord, but sought rather a medium, sought counsel from a medium. First Chronicles 10.14 said, He did not seek guidance from the Lord, therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. It was also said of Asa that he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, this can be a major temptation to not seek the Lord in times of sickness. You are not tempted to seek a medium. I know that full well. But to seek physicians for your cure. In modern times, apparently in ancient times as well, physicians can do much good. But never can they supersede the power of the Lord. The Lord can use doctors as secondary causes to heal. But no doctor can ever grant us healing. No physician can grant us a cure. So seek the Lord in sickness. If it is His will, He will heal you. Remember Hezekiah in 1 Kings chapter 20. I will read this. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah said, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. This is a a marvelous example of healing that was directly from God, who is said in the Westminster Confession, chapter 5, God, in His ordinary providence, makes use of means, yet it is free to work, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at His good pleasure. So seek the Lord's guidance, especially in times of sickness. What else ought a believer to seek from the Lord? Seek to bring glory to the Lord. How can you be sure that you are glorifying God? If you are enabled to keep the moral law, you will always bring glory to God. Uh, We can look in Psalm 119. So, starting in verse 1, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. 
Walking in the law of the Lord brings glory to God and corresponds with seeking Him with the whole heart. As Heidelberg Catechism says, and pretty much every Reformation creed, and Reformed theologian, it is your response to the mercy and grace of God for your redemption in Christ to obey the moral law. That is what every Reformed theologian says. Your response of gratitude for your redemption is found if you obey the, the, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. That is what glorifies God. So, as 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whatever you eat or whatever you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, uh, you should be seeking to glorify God And that seeking is found in obedience with the moral law. Fourthly, seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Matthew 28, 5, in the context of the resurrection, says, But the angel said to the woman, or excuse me, said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know what you seek. Jesus, who was crucified. Seek Jesus. If you seek to glorify God, you cannot seek God without a mediator. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek the righteousness of God that comes from seeking Jesus. Lastly, we should seek eternal life. Paul says in Romans 2.7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. Many more could be given about what and whom we should seek, but that will have to satisfy for now. However, if we seek the Lord, how can we be sure that that this will be accepted of the Lord. The second heading recalls that this is with all your heart. The heart. Verse 10 begins with these words, with all of my heart or with my whole heart. It is very significant that we don't miss the point because this detail is fronted. Which means it occurs at the very beginning of the sentence. Indeed, this is found in the opening words of the text. Normally, narratively, 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 it goes verb, subject, object. That's the normal mode of, of the text. Subject, verb, object. Subject, verb, or verb, subject, object. However, this includes a prepositional phrase and then a subject and then a verb. It is fronted. It is totally reverse 
of how normally things are presented. That is why it is so significant to get this. It is not lip service obedience. He doesn't say he seeks the Lord with a divided heart, with half of his heart. He says he, speaks, he, he seeks the Lord with his whole heart or entire heart. This is heartfelt obedience. And it says this at the very beginning. And it's a total reversal of how narrative tends to go. This seeking is with an undivided heart. So the first point that we will look at under this heading is an undivided heart. Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen through 21 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for, your, for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where they do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is in heaven, where the triune God dwells, there your heart will be also. If you seek Him with your whole heart, with an undivided heart, you will uh, seek Him and find Him. The Lord is the only one worthy of your heart. The New Testament says in Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Literally, blessed are the clean in heart. In the context of Psalm 119.9, Uh, The author says, how can a young man keep his way pure or or clean? By guarding it according to God's word. And then, verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Blessed is the man with a pure and undivided heart, loving and seeking the Lord with the whole heart. However, what constitutes the heart? This means, in the first instance, That you love the Lord. What is the summary of the law? That you would love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are required to love the Lord with all your heart and with your entire being. The heart also constitutes affections. All your affections. This means all your joys, all your gladness, and all your happiness. You truly seek the Lord when you find all your joys in the triune God. You truly seek the Lord when all your gladness is found in the triune God. You truly seek the Lord when all your happiness is found in the triune God. If you truly seek the Lord with all your heart, then your affections are set on Him. But finally, you are dependent on your seeking the Lord with your whole heart, by the Lord's sovereign providence. This leads us to our third heading, providence. Uh, Verse 10b says, Let me not wander from your commandments. With this verse set, let me not or do not let me wander, he acknowledges his dependence on providence. Let me explain. 
providence is explained in the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism as God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and power, powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. In other words, providence is the Lord's sovereign ruling over all his creatures and all their actions. There is nothing that is not controlled by God. There is no creature that is not controlled by God. And there is no one action that is not controlled by God. God is completely sovereign in his control, and his control extend to all his creatures and all their actions. This is a mysterious concept, but it says it plain as day in the Bible. So you had better believe it. The author of Psalm 119 is familiar with God's providence and leans upon that providence to direct him in every way to not take a glance off his commandments. The NIV says, do not let me stray from your commands. Uh, The Latin Vulgate says, oh, repel me not from your commandments. But the closest thing to the Hebrew text is, do not allow me to stray from your commandments. The author, in essence, confesses the Lord's providence, that the Lord can do anything he desires, and he controls all his creatures' actions, and he prays, let your desire to be for me not to stray from your commandments. Augustine commented on these verses. I'll quote this. For human infirmity is not equal to obeying God's righteous and exalted commands, unless God doth prevent and aid him. But those who he aideth not, these he is justly said to repel. I'll I'll explain that quotation. Augustine is in essence, saying, if God does not come to my aid and to make me not wander, I'll inevitably do it. Inevitably, I will commit apostasy. I will not, uh, I will wander from his commandments. I will, I, I will just deny every every ounce of his word, unless God prevents me from doing that. So, if God does not expressly enable him to walk in his commandments, that person will not. If God doesn't expressly will or desire this man to walk in his commandments, he will certainly not. I pray every day, that I might receive the grace to glorify God in word, thought, and deed. I pray these things every morning because I know in the providence of God, God may consider it best for my good and His glory to cause me to stray from the word. In His providence, God could allow me to go against His holy word. And I'm fearful that. This is why I cling to the providence 
of God and pray that God would help me and assist me not to wander from His commandments. You may ask a question. If you truly seek to glorify God with all your heart, why would He have me to do this? Why would uh, it be profitable for God to allow me to wander from His commandments? Why would God allow me, as Augustine says, to repel me from keeping His commandments? I want to be sanctified. I plead with my whole heart to be sanctified completely. Why would He have me go against His commandments? If you have never read Westminster Confession, chapter 5, I encourage you to, uh, to do that. The Confession gives answers to my question. I will read this. It says, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season His own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of, of their own hearts to chastise them for former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them up to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon Himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions or sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. This is the way the confession explains it. And I will appeal uh, to you that, that God in His providential workings might leave you for a season, His own children for a season, to reveal, one, the corruption of your hearts. The corruption of your hearts. Even in a regenerate man, you have the remnants of old Adam and the corruptions within your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, and, and you are well familiar with this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And Genesis 6.5 says, the Lord saw the wickedness, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. We have wicked and corrupt hearts by nature of the fall of Adam, even in your regeneracy. You know this to be true by experience. If God by His Spirit had not come and regenerated you, there would be no telling how far we could, we could go, how, how, how far we could be corrupted. And God, in His providence, reminds you of that fact that you have corruption in your hearts as well, and that, yea, for the grace of God, go I. Without God's grace, there would be nothing to prevent you from the corruption of your heart. This should make us rely on the grace of God even more. I'm reading a, a, a book uh, about King Philip's War that took place in 1675 and 76 on American soil. This is the bloodiest, excuse me, this was the bloodiest war per capita 
in America exceeding the American Revolution, the Civil War, and even World War II. You seldom hear about this. Uh, Both Native Americans and the colonial army did horrible things. Absolutely horrific things. However, not many of the natives were true Christians, but the primary influence of the colonial army was puritanical Christianity. The Puritans. The indication is that for the colonial army, they lost sight of their uh, uh, influence and, and theology. That reveals the corruption of their whole hearts. They were supposed to be a city on a hill. And they revealed as much corruption as the unregenerate natives did. In God's providence, He may reveal to us the corruption of our hearts. Second, that we may be humbled. God gives Christians over for a time that they may be humbled in order that they may resemble Christ. The Christian is to be formed after the image of Christ. And Christ, if anything, is humble. Thomas Watson says, a humble soul is a Christ magnifier. Let us set before us the golden pattern of Christ, but He made Himself of no reputation and was made in the likeness of men, Philippians 2.7. Oh, what abasement it was for the Son of God to take on flesh. No, that Christ should take on our nature when it was in disgrace. Being stained with sin, this was the wonder of humility. Look at a humble Savior and let the plumes of pride fall off. If you are wondering what plumes is, I'll tell you. It's a synonym of feathers. Let, let the feathers of sinful pride fall off. Why else would He sovereignly allow me to wander from His commandments? Because in falling from His commandments, we might see after the fact that it was for our good. That it was for our good. As Paul writes, in 18, or Romans 8.28. You all know this. For all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We know that if God is sovereign, all things work for our good. However, we seldom, if ever, know the reason why. But we are called to trust and, and believe that it is, it is truly for our good. William Tillink says in the path of true godliness, we should often remind ourselves that the Lord our God knows what is best for us. That should assure us that come what may, everything will be all right in the end. For the Lord God takes it upon Himself whatever may happen to us to make all things work together for our good. That is what Tillink says. There are some reasons, and many more that we didn't discuss, why God may cause us to wander from His commandments, but in essence, to make you see the corruption of your hearts, to grow in humility 
and to trust in His goodness for you. This brings us to the applications. In the application, in the application section, I would like to present to you three applications and have you stand in awe of Jesus Christ. That He truly sought the Lord with His whole heart and trusted in God's providence to be the mediator of God's elect and that God never allowed Him to stray from a single commandment of the moral law. So, the first, only Jesus truly sought the Lord. In His earthly ministry, Jesus truly sought the Lord in prayer. These are the testimonies of Scripture. He went away to the mountain to pray. And He he prayed for the children who were brought to Him. He prayed with and for James and uh, Peter and James and John. Truly, the Lord sought, the Lord Jesus sought him in prayer. Truly, Jesus sought guidance from the Lord in his earthly ministry. He always sought the guidance of the Lord, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed for guidance. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed for God the Father's will to be done in whatever He had to do to fulfill His office of the mediator. He truly sought counsel from God. Jesus truly sought to bring glory to God in uh, John 17.4, Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He truly sought to glorify God. Fourth, Jesus truly sought to bring eternal life to His people. Jesus said in John 17.3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He continues in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and that they have kept your word. He truly sought and accomplished eternal life for his people. My second application is that only Jesus truly sought the Lord with His whole heart. Only Jesus truly sought the Lord with His whole heart. This is in contrast to ourselves who have the corruption of our hearts revealed to us. We cannot love the Lord with all our hearts, naturally speaking. But Jesus did. If He was correct that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, That is what Jesus was par excellence. The Lord Jesus Christ sought him with, sought the Lord with his whole heart and never wavered from giving him his whole heart and his undivided heart. And truly, he has seen God. This leads to our third and final application, and it is this only Jesus never wandered from a single commandment. 
he said this, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but fulfill them. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. He never even had a thought of abolishing the law. He pronounced the severest of judgments upon them that do. Therefore, whoever relaxes the law, uh, whoever, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Furthermore, by Paul, Jesus is declared to accomplish all the righteous requirements of the law that he might be fulfilled in us. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness to impute his righteousness to us. Aren't you amazed by Jesus? If you don't, you don't have a true knowledge of sin and the corruption of our hearts. We cannot seek the Lord with our whole hearts, but Jesus can and did. We, according to God's providence, do wander from His commandments all the time. But Christ did not wander from a single commandment. Further, He did this for the sake of His elect, to credit His righteousness to us. Stand and wonder at the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand in amazement of His person and work. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You that Jesus did everything necessary for our salvation. He prayed with tears for the Lord to sustain Him. And He asked for guidance in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He said, I I glorified You on earth. Glorify Me now with Your eternal presence. Truly, God has declared righteous because He fulfilled all righteousness in our place and for our stead. Might we stand with amazement at Jesus Christ as revealed to us in the Gospel. We would do well to stand in amazement because Ultimately, he said, with all of my heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.